This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Mopping the floor of a convenience store. You came in crashing through the door. The look on your face said nothing could prepare me for. Sat in my car, parked it out on the curb. What kind of God thought you deserved? Your mother gone from you without. Places like we did not choose. I'd always wished I'd spend more time with you. I drove the whole night just as soon as I heard the Inspired means the understatement of the century. You tried for me, I tried for you. To make this life a black and white, full color burst into the night. You rise for me, I rise for you. Sat at the hospital and watched you fight What's going on inside your head at night When all the angels come and pull you towards the Hey, everyone, that was Chris Trapper with Hard Time. You know, we just wanted to, you know, give you a little uplifting little something here at the beginning of the show. Figured we would uh, start uh, start big, uh, big, big, as in, you know, dark, big, dark, deep, and we'll climb our way out slowly. We will. We will. Welcome to the show, everyone. It's May 2nd. It's May. Welcome. It's May. 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 Yay. It's already fire season here in Los Angeles. Welcome to the new normal, everybody. Used to be October when we would get fires. Now all of Camarillo is on fire today. It's all very exciting here. Anyway, uh, it's May. Just uh, My husband and I just spent 24 hours in Vegas together. I kidnapped him uh, for his – it's his birthday week and um, – you know, here's the, here's the reality. I don't do Vegas very often because my whole life I did Vegas famous adjacent. It's really the only way to do Vegas. Um, if you don't do Vegas famous adjacent, then you end up doing Vegas with all those other people, which you can't, you can't avoid anyway. 
but um, I did get to do Vegas adjacent adjacent this uh, week for 24 hours. Uh, I want to thank my dear friend. Yes, I'm going to name drop now. My dear friend, Roseanne Barr. We went to see her do stand up. Uh, you guys, she's back doing stand up. She's she's a fucking maestra. Would maestra be the female maestro? Don't know. Uh, but she is, whatever that is. She's a master. It was a master class. There's not one chomping of her gum that is not completely purposeful. Not one moment of ladies and gentlemen, not one pause. It was a master fucking class in stand up. It was really very cool to uh, see her do that. And, uh, yeah, she, and, and hold the space for the, you know, kind of the average Vegas person roaming in. She does an early show. She does a 7 p.m. show. And, uh, you know, so she's holding the space for them. And then she slowly pulls them out to the edge where she is. And it's it's really amazing to watch. She's very, very deft at it. So um, that was that was fun this week. And I played in a poker tournament. I um, have not played poker in a gazillion years. Not a lot, like certainly at a casino. You know, the recession and all that stuff. <clears throat> Money went to other places, you know, like the electricity, things like that, feeding the dogs. Uh, but I, uh, you know, it was $80 buy-in poker tournament. I, I played fantastic for two and a half hours. I And I was getting good cards, too. I got a pair of eights like three different times rolled up. It was really nice. And I just, I think because I've been spending more time on stage and have a lot more confidence. Just stage time gives you more confidence. I'm looking at three people who totally get that. I'm looking at my three guests here today. Um, I think I just felt like more ballsy at the table. Like I didn't let people push me around as much and I knew what I was doing. So I made me a better poker player. And, uh, until I got to that point where everyone's kind of going all in because the, the, um, the blinds are getting high and there's not enough chips on the table. And I didn't quite know. I don't, haven't studied a lot of tournament play, haven't played in a lot of them. I normally play just normal poker. And, um, so I didn't know what to do when I got all frazzled and, and I made a couple stupid moves, but, um, but I'm aware of it. And I, you know, it's cool. It's cool. I'm ready, I'm ready for more. Ready for more. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, all of that. And uh, welcome to May. May's here. I hope – well, I I hope everyone's had spring. I know most of the country is trying to have spring. I know Wisconsin has snow today. I am so sorry. <laughs> We're really trying to bring spring about, you know. You'd think with – you know, you'd think with all the global warming that things would warm up for you. But it's doing that here for us instead. We're holding that for you. All right. Anyway, I'm going to jump into my uh, this week's essay, uh, and then we'll, of course, as you know, jump into another song, and then um, and then we will jump into the big, the big octagon table discussion today. So, uh, do you hear that? It's nice, like a foley. Did you hear that? How nice that is. That was Rick Overton pouring Suzanne Wong some water. I've been practicing for those morning orange juice ads. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that was. There's nothing like the smell of farm fresh <laughs> eggs and orange juice fresh squeezed. <laughs> That was awesome. I just love sound effects. Okay. So today's um, today's essay, although the topic of the roundtable discussion is going to be peace, I think I might call this essay joy. I just might. All right. Here goes. The other day I was in front, in my front yard, watching my elderly dog, Ned, sniff his way around the magnolia tree. My mind wandering around the daily life careening around inside my head when I was struck by the strongest urge to just lay down on my front lawn, right on the grass, in the sun, with my eyes closed. 
It was a perfect day out, mid-afternoon, slight breeze, and just the right amount of warmth. I couldn't really remember the last time I had done such a thing, but I knew it must have been over 20 years ago. At UCLA, I remember standing on the top of a big hill that led down to Ackerman Union. It was the beginning of spring quarter, and there were bodies strewn everywhere, languishing and soaking in the brightness that only comes when the tilt of the earth arrives at that precise angle. It is when our reptilian brains recognize that we have moved beyond the days of winter, and we are now with such certain instinct that we are now sliding into the stream of long days and warm nights. While I stood on my porch, my body craved the sensation of giving itself up to gravity and drinking in the light. I looked around at my neighbor's houses at the patches of flat green expanse that we landowners pay foreign gentlemen a small monthly fee to maintain the edges of what we charmingly call here in Los Angeles mow and blow and contemplated this ritual fetishism of the maintenance of our small vestiges of nature and thought about how little of living goes on in our front yard these days. There are no kids building forts on them or arguing over who is it. There are no porch swings or verandas where neighbors' li lives extend out into the lives of those around them. There's just this buffer zone of photosynthesis that keeps the harsh reality of life at bay. We tell the world, stay over there, out there, away from me. Our lawns are like the beard of an orthodox male Jew or the burqa of a fundamentalist Islamic woman. It is our modern day moat. These thoughts made me want to lay down on the lawn even more and engage in a protest against the deadening, the fragmentation, the false division we put up between ourselves and nature and each other. I wanted to rage against the machine through my supine sit-in, but then I imagined how strange it would look to passers-by. There would be a woman who, for no apparent reason, is lying on her front lawn with her arms spread out. Is she sick? or crazy, or dead? Or to my neighbors, I would be not just the one with the famous dead father and the parties that go late into the night, but now the one who lays on her lawn with no towel and not waiting to be picked up by anyone. She doesn't even have a book. She just lays there. Is that even allowed? <laughs> then I think about whose life is this anyway, mine or my reputations? I think about all my many ancestors who fought like hell through their lives to survive their impossible circumstances. I think about all that I have endured, walked through, overcome in my short life. I think about all the people today on this planet who do not have the fortune of a lawn, a house, food, or even physical safety. I lay myself down. I close my eyes. I spread my arms wide open and take a deep breath. I sink into the ground and into the moment, and I am lifted into reverie. The breeze, the birds, the prickly grass behind my knees become my whole world. I no longer think about Syria or Twitter or writing or global warming or what to make for dinner. I am free, more free than meditation free. More free than a glass of wine free, even more free than orgasm free. I am once again 28 on the campus of UCLA. I am once again 17 with my whole life ahead of me. I am once again nine years old, immersed in the universe that is created through the interplay of sunlight and my eyelids. I am a child again, and a flood of joy fills my chest. Here, 
all along hiding in plain sight right here on my front lawn, my life before the pressures, confusions, the bad choices, the unexpected turns, pure joy, pure freedom. And I weep. I weep. I weep for all that I forget to give myself every day. And all that I forget is right here for free from my life. I weep for how easy it really is. Somewhere out there in the world tonight There's a man hungry and sick and frozen with fright Who is trying to cross the United States border I'm up here on the fourth floor tonight I'm hungry, I'm sick, and I'm frozen with fright I'm trying to get my hilarious life in order And I know what the score is And I know what a war is People die in a war It's all happened People die in a war It's all happened before When last we spoke I made a terrible joke You laughed but you knew it was a terrible joke There was a time not that long ago When all of my jokes Good ones. So maybe I lost it in the back of that truck Or that night we swam naked in the lake And we stuck to each other And we clutched and we kissed And we knew we could make it Tonight, 
I'm fairly certain there's intelligent life, and they're using their time and their tests to figure out what love is. That was John Elliott with the score. I just, I was just telling the group here that um, uh, uh, Logan has this uncanny way of picking a song. He never knows what my essay is going to be about because I write it on the morning of. Uh, and then he always picks this music and just, you know, his general idea about what we're going to talk about and uh, just how well the songs always mess, mesh with my essays. And uh, one of our guests here, Danny, said, well, that shows that there is meaning to it all, which is from another essay that I wrote. Really. Anyway, uh, welcome everyone back to the show. We're here with our octagon table discussion. Um, as usual, uh, we have um, great Fabulous, deep, funny, smart minds uh, at work have been uh, p- putting the topic into their head at least for the last 20 minutes and figuring out <laughs> what the fuck they think about it. But, you know, we have fun here. Uh, so today's guests, uh, my first guest on my left here is a newcomer to the Octagon table, uh, Mr. Danny LaBelle. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's nice. I was just saying that Danny and I met via. Um, Via my father, uh, actually, uh, my father had done Danny's show in New York a few times, uh, comical radio. And, uh, after my dad died, Danny approached me and said, Hey, come on my show and let's talk. And I started talking to him on, on the air a couple times and, and I was like, Oh, this is fun. And I kind of know what I'm doing. What did we do? The Carlin Colin with Kelly Carlin we calling did. in. <laughs> we did. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I played your I played your life coach. That's right. That was fun too. Yeah. And uh, so welcome, Danny, to the Octagon table. It's Thank nice you. to have you here. I love octagons. Yes, and you notice our table is an is an actual octagon. It's yeah. because it's a poker table. That's right. Um, and of course, we have a return uh, returning player here to the to the to the table, uh, Miss Suzanne Wong. Where did we first meet? Ooh, wow. You're like in an echo chamber. I felt like you're doing like... Oh, really? That was awesome. I wasn't (laughs) trying to do that. I know. I think Logan did that. Where did... I think we met through Paul Provenza? No. I don't really... uh, Sit and spin, maybe. Hmm? Could it have been at the Shinebaums for some ACLU Oh, my God. That's exactly where it was. And I think Overton introduced us. Overton was there, yes. And you were like right on the couch, front row. That's right. I think that was it. I think that was it. That Mm -hmm. was so funny. We were at this beautiful home in Brentwood, like typical Brentwood home too. I mean, like the kind of homes I grew up in and around with the shine bombs, these lovely rich people, left-wing liberals, left-wing liberal Jews with lots of money. <laughs> That's right. And uh, they like to have events. There. They do. They had lovely events. And uh, yeah, that was my first political event I ever did a story at. Uh, that was fun. Yeah, that was that is exactly where we met. That's right. <laughs> and uh, also joining us today, the um, the anchor, the uh, the anchor, the man who br- brings, you know, he's the anchor of the team here. He's the one who brings the the the, 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 the he brings the canoe home. He brings the 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 the, the, the <laughs> you know, the team, the team home. Uh, Mr. Rick Overton, everyone. <sighs> Thank you very much, Kel. Uh, now in today's national headline. <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a, we have a and nice... Back to, <laughs> and back to you, Clark. And back to you, Kel. 
That's when you have to put your hand over your ear yes, like that guy like in Gary Owen. Gary yeah, Owens. Gary Owens. Gary Owens. I'm laughing. Yep. Yes. Speaking of Gary Owens, this is. I'm just going to make a quick little. You have a Gary Owens segue. I do. Wow. <laughs> I do. Go um, for it. I do because I just want to promote something that's happening actually this Sunday. Um, they're playing almost my entire Jonathan Winters interview on my <gasps> Sirius XM show. And Gary Owens is the one who got me that interview. Oh, I just got goosebumps. Yeah, it's, I, it's actually a two CD thing that I did for On Comedy. Uh, it's called, yeah, it's, it's laugh.com's On Comedy, but they're playing about an hour 20 of it on, on Sirius this awesome. weekend. So you can go onto Amazon and buy the CD. Fantastic. Or if you have the Sirius XM, you can listen Has to Has Sirius it. XM ever played your Phyllis Diller interview? After she died, they played it. See, Yay. I've, and I, I got in, I got in with these lovely legends and I'm, you know what? I've got a Sid Caesar waiting in the lineup someday. God bless. His heart. So, oh, so you mean he's still alive? He is still That's barely cool. alive. Yeah, but he was so barely alive when I went and sat with him, which I thought was going to be maybe a forty-five minute interview, and I was there for three hours. It was incredible because these he's these a slow talker, huh? Not, no, <laughs> they want to connect. They're so desperate to connect. It just is so <sighs> kind of breaks your heart. You know, Sid Caesar, like the man who is responsible for so much modern comedy, and he's alone in a in a very f- fabulous 1970s Beverly Hills home with a guy who looks like um, um, Cato from the Peter Sellers movies. <laughs> and I am not kidding you. Yes, it, it's so strange in that way. Um, I told you about my meeting with Jonathan. Yes, you just had an encounter with Jonathan. You, 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 Danny called me in desperation saying, I have to meet him. Yeah. Help me. I'm in Santa Barbara. What do I do? Right. <laughs> and, I, and I went around like a lunatic on this. I connected him with Rick and we're all like, we don't know. He's not, he's not doing well. He's sick. And you ended up. The universe connected us in a weird way. Just by fate, there was a 10 minute window that he was at an antique show. And after failed attempts to meet him. We stopped at the antique show on the way back, and within that ten minutes, I got Shut to meet him. Up. I know that's crazy, but it's that's what happened. Wow, and that's great. Two months later, he was gone. But yeah. the the interesting thing I wanted to bring up about that was he had this aide with him, who I'm sure is a very lovely woman, and, and she she's pushing him around, and I I'd never been so jealous. You know, I was thinking to myself. This woman, does she know who she's getting to spend so much yeah. time with? Does she appreciate it like I would appreciate it? Like like so many comedians would love to be the person behind that wheelchair who gets to talk to him every single day. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's a job, but yeah. does she know? Does Did she I earn wonder. that job? Did she? I hope so. Is she right. the, like that? Yeah, right, you know what right. I mean? Yeah. So this person who's there with Sid Caesar, does he know what that means? You know? I think he does because he's been with Mr. Caesar for decades. So okay, I, well, I think that, he understands. He knows, Thank God. But it is very yeah. true. Like, do they have any appreciation for the, the breadth of this amazing yeah. life in front of them? Well, or any life in front of them, certainly. Um, I don't like that these people have to die for your fabulous interviews. I don't to be like this either. <laughs> Airing on it's, serious. It is weird. It is weird, but it's like the only time I'm like, hey, I mean, and I like demand it too. I'm like, hey, guys, we're playing the Jonathan Winters this month. That's yeah. right. I know we got Jeff Garland lined up, but Jeff can wait till frickin' June, okay? <laughs> he can fucking wait a few fucking more weeks. 
All right. So today's topic is peace. And um, I had fun with it today because I went online after I got I always give my guests a bunch of quotes and kind of some ideas about some topics in within the topic. But I went and found all the not all probably not all but a good light nice list of idioms with the word peace in them. So I thought I would read them to start our to start us off at peace, hold one's peace, leave in peace, peace of mind, rest in peace. There's no peace for the wicked. Be at peace with the world. Be at peace with yourself. Make peace with the past. Keep the peace. Bring him to the peace table. Peace and quiet. Come in peace. Peace out. Says one's peace, also spelled both ways, by the way. I've always thought it was peace, like a piece of something. Yeah. But it can also be says one's peace, which when I was a little kid, that's what I thought it was, because I thought once you got it off your chest, you would find peace. That's the way it was traditionally put out. Really? Yes, and it, de- and it depends. English, I think British and American usage is slightly different with really? that. I know. Isn't well, that it's fascinating? The same thing to break a leg. Yes. Break a leg didn't mean break your leg. Right. Break a leg is uh, the, the the male version of bowing uh, in Shakespearean terms when you're getting an ovation. Oh, it's the curtsy. A straight oh, leg. The, the men dressed as women leg. have to curtsy yeah. in their dresses, and the men dressed as men have to put one leg forward and just sort of bend just it as you very like... stiffly to really differentiate which men were which on right, the play. Right, because, you know, some were wearing dresses. That was yes. it. They had the other half. There was no females That in the is so cool. I always thought it had to do with calcium deficient. <laughs> yeah, right. And so America <laughs> switches it immediately to, hey, crash and burn. Hey, <laughs> scratch your retina. You got it. Thank you. Thank you. Lose Take a file. Boniva. <laughs> almost, almost finished with your novel. Lose a file. Thanks a lot. Break a string. Break a string. <laughs> oh, that's great. So it's uh, uh, say one's peace, peace pipe, peace offering, peace sign, war and peace, world peace, and then I added world peas. Because I love that. I love that little bumper sticker that used to say that world. Oh, W H I R L E D. Uh huh. Peas as in eating peas. Mm -hmm. So, um, so peace is the word, not Greece. Peace is the word. Oh, that was bad, Kelly. Um, so I thought we would just start with one of these here, and um, you know, let's start with uh, an interesting one. Uh, Let's let's you know, let's start with uh, something. uh, Peace with the past. You know, I I think, you know, I think about how much time we spend in this country in therapy. That, by the way, that is Ned, who is not feeling very peaceful right now. He's he's having an argument with himself. I don't know what he's he's having an argument with. So, um, so peace with the past. At least he's alive. (laughs) (laughs) So Suzanne will be working through her grief today. I had to put my pug Bonsai to sleep on Friday. And it was, um, oh, and apparently I'm still going to cry about it. Wow. Um, yeah. So for the last uh, solid week, I've just been crying. Yeah. And, um, and it's weird because, um, it's especially weird when there's people who don't get it, who don't like animals and Mm. they're like, it's, it was a dog. And I'm thinking, I will find a gun and kill you (laughs) because, uh, it's, it's, you know, if you, if you are an animal person, you get it. And if, and if you aren't, you just never will. Yep. But, um, that was a member of my family. And, um, and so, but here's what's interesting because I've dealt with death before. Um, but the people that have died have been friends or family members, none of whom I lived with, Mm. but someone I lived with died. So I feel like a widow because everywhere in the house is stuff that was his. Yeah. Everything was his or 
reminds me of him or smells like him or, you know, and yes. so now I'm looking around the house like, what, what do I, what do I do with this stuff? And then I thought there are no grief policemen here rushing your yeah. process. You get to deal with it how and if and when you want to. So for now, everything's just there. Yep. And I just get to have my. I love my process, that. No, but, no grief policeman. Yeah, because yeah. I'm thinking, what am I? Oh, what am I supposed to do with his bed? Right? Not nothing. Right? Just have your feelings. <laughs> you'll you'll feel it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah, give yourself space. But yeah, and and uh, speaking of the past, one of the best things about having a dog is that you know that they don't hold grudges and you can't punish them for something they did an hour ago because they don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Right. So that, what's so great is you play with the dog and it's so zen and you are in the moment. Mm-hmm. You're in the moment with the dog and that's that's it's so quiet and still because pugs are hilarious. He had so much energy. He was funny. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of life force going on. Yes. And now it's like, yeah. Oh, Oh wow, it's way too quiet in here. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I, I just what a great lesson about you know, in twelve step they say you can look at the past but don't stare. It's rude. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. That's a great yeah. saying. That's cool. Look at it but don't stare. Don't you know? stare, yeah. Don't get, all, don't get all obsessed with it. You yeah. know, that's rude. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, I just feel like too that, you know, um all all you need to know about life, you can learn from having a dog because every time I would come home, Bonsai would be like, oh my, like it's 4th of July. Oh my God, you came home. Oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. And I'm it thinking, is. I come home, you know, every day. And every time I would feed him, he'd go, oh my God, food. Food is my favorite. <laughs> and if we did this to each other in life, uh, yeah. how much better would our lives be every time your loved one came home? If you went, oh my God, you came home. <laughs> or every time you ate food at a restaurant, you said to the waiter, oh my God, food. <laughs> Thank you this so much. I mean, that would be delightful. Full of gratitude they are, those little puppies. And in the moment, and and as if they've never had food before, or they've never seen your face before, so they're just ecstatic. They're little Thich Nhat Hans walking around. Yes. (laughs) And I loved your essay so much, too, Kelly, because when you were talking about the desire to just lie on your front lawn and, and just, uh, and just take it all in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I bought a hippity hop. Do you know what that is? Yes. So I, I found a place to buy a hippity hop <laughs> and I will go around wow. my neighborhood on the hippity hop, which is a rubber ball with a handle and you sit on it and you just sort of jump like a kangaroo. Yes. And I don't give a flying fuck what my neighbors that think of that because awesome. it makes me happy. Yeah. It's yeah. the equivalent of sometimes if I don't have my hippity hop, I'll just skip. I instead skip of too. Well, yeah. I do skip. And people are like, yeah. oh, something's wrong with that. <laughs> or even car dancing like at a stoplight uh, i always have some good yeah. music on I'm like yeah. dancing although people seem to be okay with that people will honk and wave and smile yeah. with the car dancing. and you can get other people to car dance with you right. too sometimes but not know? so much with the hippity hop no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical <laughs> <laughs> So, so peace with our past. Uh, I know for me, I mean, I've spent a lot of time working through my past. You know, some of it uh, is like Velcro. Some of it's like Velcro. You just you rip it off and <laughs> comes back right back again, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of peace with your past has to do with fear for your future. Mm, say more. I think that a lot of, in my case, what makes me uncomfortable about my past doesn't make me uncomfortable that it happened in the past as much as it makes me afraid that it'll happen again in the future. Uh-huh. 
So peace with your past might really just be coming to terms with your present, you know? Mm-hmm. Figuring out that, all right, I don't like the way I did that, or I don't like the way they did that and how I responded to that, or whatever it is. Yeah. And figuring out what you don't like about it, and finding some peace within that. Yes. And, and knowing, all right, well, I'm fairly confident that if this ever happened again... I'm past that, you know, it's not going to go down that way again, because I have that clarity now. Yeah. So I think... Or B, you could survive it. Yeah. Yes. Because you have proof. Yes. Right. Exactly. And even when you were less experienced with it, you survived it then. Right. So the things you don't want to hit you again may come two or three times in your life more, but every time... You start to get more. Remember the first horrible shock of dentistry when it was some really invasive procedure? But about the fourth or fifth time he does it, just realize my head will vibrate. I'll hear this noise. I'll <laughs> right. smell that smell. And, yeah. and none of the things are like, I'm in a horror movie. I'm in you know a scene from Hostel. And, and I think that's where fear comes from at its root is uncertainty. And, 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 and unfamiliarity. Know, unfamiliarity. Yeah. Absolutely. The, you know, I went to an anxiety <clears throat> class recently on how to manage your anxiety. At Kaiser, which mm-hmm. was, I think, one of the funniest things. I've, i got to write this into a sketch. <laughs> it was just me and a lot of other nut jobs. And we're all, <laughs> we're all just freaking out, you know. And before the class, I'm like, you know, I have anxiety about this class. And the person next to me would say, yeah, me too. You know? <laughs> and what did the teacher do? Well, well, one of the things he talked about was how so much anxiety comes from fear. And there's two kinds of fear. There's rational fear. And then there's phobia, which is irrational fear. Yep. Uh, irrational fear is dealt with in one way, but rational fear uh, is very easy to overcome. And the only way to overcome it is to face it again and again. And the more times you face it, the easier it is to overcome. And he talked about uh, some American psychologist, I don't remember the name, who developed a system of approaching your fear in small steps. For, yeah, for some, instance, some behavioral cognitive guy, probably. Yeah. Yeah. If you're afraid of being uh, on the top of a ladder, first you'll spend a week going on the first step of the ladder. Then you'll spend the next week going to the second step and, and getting and comfortable then- and comfortable by the time you get to the top step. <laughs> You've gone all the way. The fear is gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, the gradual desensitization. Yeah, desensitization. Kind of yeah. 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 Well, I know when I, I mean, it's so true. I think you're talking about like the past and the future because I had panic attack disorder for 10 years. And all the panic attack disorder really is, is some, you had a panic attack somewhere and then your mind associates panic, which is this le- real feeling of d- dread and doom. I mean, you are going to die. There's no doubt about it, this panic. I mean, it's the most insane feeling you've ever had in your life. Okay. And yes, yeah, so you understand. And um, so you start to associate it with where you were the first time you had it. Now, the first time I had it was driving in a car. So for 10 years, when you got in a car, I any uh, the car and driving the car was a huge, huge thing. And I would have rolling panic attacks while I was driving. What if you were a passenger? <clears throat> passenger didn't always no. didn't always count. Sometimes it did depend on how far away I was from home. Um, but, but so the, but the thing was, was that because I had that one thing in the past, my future was determined by this thing because you start to project ahead thinking, oh, it's going to happen again. And then you actually become self-fulfilling with it and you actually trigger it to happen then in the car because you're so focused on it, not, not wanting it to happen. It's really crazy. So it is interesting with the panic thing to have to, the rational part of it, to use your mind and say, I'm not going to die. 
I'm really not going to die. I've had like the worst panic attacks in all sorts of places and I've never died yet. Mm-hmm. And and that it's just this sensation going on. I'm going to feel this this thing of adrenaline coming through my body and I'm going to think that, you know, I'm going to die and all this stuff. And and that was how I broke the cycle of it. So So, yeah, there is something about having coming to peace with your past that will absolutely change your future. A hundred percent. I agree with that. A hundred percent. And there's that quote, uh, courage is not the absence of fear. It's feeling the fear, but moving forward yes. anyway. Cause I think some people think I have to wait until I have no feeling of fear whatsoever. Never going to happen. And then I'll move forward. And that will be me at my most courageous. Yeah. It's like, that's if, not it. That's, that's not what courage not is. It. Yeah. Doing it when you're aware of a, of a that's, hazard and threat. That's right. Yep. Yep. Right. Absolutely. As opposed you aren't aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And my panic attacks, by the way, also started dri- while driving once. And uh, in that anxiety class, they talked about how that's very common. That's yep. how most people do start yep. driving. Yep. Um, Especially in L.A. <laughs> totally. <laughs> A great moment for me in that whole thing where I felt truly nuts was, uh, <laughs> you know, they're going around. You go, well, what other fears? You go, and then somebody go, heights. Okay, yeah, we'll get to heights. Uh, freeway driving. Yeah, we'll get to freeway driving. Uh, some woman goes, I'm afraid of birds. I can't go near any birds. You know, I have to – Block myself when I go from my house to my car. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, does anybody here have a fear of planes? I raised my hand for a quick second. I put it down. He goes, I noticed you put your hand down. He says, Do you have a fear of planes or not? I said, Well, small planes, but not big planes. He's like, Well, it's big planes today. We're going to focus on big planes. (laughs) Small planes is week three. We will get into small planes in week three. Let's not jump ahead, people. I did have one panic attack once, and it was when I overdosed on marijuana at the Prince concert. Uh, yeah, well, that's that. And was... I thought I was going to be sucked into the core of the earth and killed, which seemed complete. And I never was more sure of anything in my life yeah. than that thought. The earth is going to open up. I'm going to be sucked into its core and killed. Yeah. What? Yeah. I, I was, I was positive. Yes. See, and that's the positive thing, too. I used to tell positive. people about panic attacks. I used to say... God himself could come down and say, Kelly, you're not having, you're not going to die. You're having a panic attack. And I would say, fuck you. I'm going to fucking die. Now, um, I've got an interesting quote here um, from our good friend, Marianne Williamson. She says, the practice of forgiveness is our most important contribution to the healing of the world. And the reason I bring that up is because peace with our past, I think, has a lot to do with forgiveness. Yes, yes because that other as a, there's another 12 step quote which is resentment is like drinking a glass of poison and waiting for the other person to die. Right. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make yeah. any sense. The people you resent don't know and don't care. The opposite of resentment is forgiveness. So you take the poison instead of drinking it, you pour it down the drain. And yeah. for me, I have always thought of forgiveness as this sort of divine scissors that mm. cuts the toxic umbilical cord between me and whatever mm. thing I'm holding on to that is basically a cement block, right? Mm. So say there's a cement block and then there's a string and I'm the helium balloon, yeah. right? The forgiveness is the scissors that cuts that so that I can float, be free. Yeah. 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 Hmm. yeah. And you know, th- th- I know though it's there. Forgiveness is a tough one though, because sometimes you feel like, even if you want to forgive someone, sometimes it's hard. You, you still like want to like also fucking murder them. And <laughs> but have you ever done the, the there's this three step exercise that I love that works with whatever time frame, you know, is, is where you're at. Right. But uh, you, you certainly can't forgive without venting 
all of your feelings first. Right. So there's this like three part exercise. So you where can you, go into the murderous rage if yes, you feel like you it. do. You do that. You yeah. vent to the, to the not to the person. Right. Ideally, you just do it to an empty chair or you write it all out and then you can rip up the letter and burn it. But, mm-hmm. but it has to come out of you. That's the first step. Right. right. If you don't do that, how are you ever going to get to a place of peace? So it has to come out of you. Um, the second step is to write yourself a letter from let's say it's a person mm-hmm. from that person mm-hmm. back to you, the, the ideal response that you will never probably get, oh. but you give it to yourself. The one that you do want to hear. Yes. You, the, give, it I'm to, sorry. you give it to yourself. Yes. Right. Dear Suzanne, I'm so sorry. I'm a, I'm a worthless piece of shit. And here's why I did that. And I beg for your <laughs> forgiveness. And I'm, you know, what I did to you is unconscionable. And, you right. know, I'm so sorry. And, and, and I, I just beg you every single day for right. your forgiveness. You know I, what I mean? Right. And then you give yourself that. Right. And then you keep it. <gasps> and then after, after you've vented your toxic stuff and given yourself the ideal response that you probably will never get, mm-hmm. then it might be easier to, to, to let it to, to let finally it go let it go and forgive. Like, did you ever read um, "Left to Tell" by Immaculee Ilibagiza? She's a Rwandan genocide survivor. My okay. favorite kind of genocide survivors, of are course, always Rwandan. Rwandan. Yeah. <laughs> so she wrote this book called "Left to Tell" because she was the only person. She's the one who was hiding in tell. the bathroom. Yes, hiding in speak. the bathroom. I saw her speak live. She, she and seven other women were hiding in a bathroom that was three feet by four feet, and it, for for months, yes, with almost no food or. Uh, water. Yep. And while she was in there, she said she she meditated like eighteen hours a day or slept. And they had to be silent. They had to learn to communicate without uh, making any sound because the opposing tribesmen were circling the houses, like listening and constantly <sighs> looking. But while she was in there, she heard on the. Uh, pastor, this pastor from an opposing tribe was hiding them in his house. Mm-hmm. Um, the pastor had the radio on, and while she was in there, she heard on the radio that her entire family had been murdered, chopped up with uh, mm-hmm. a machete, and just murdered. She mm-hmm. finds this out, and she vows while she's in there that she will escape one day. She will move to the United States. She will work for the United Nations. Like mm-hmm. this is what she's going to do with her life, and she did. She did. She did all those things. But my favorite part about it was when she escaped, she tracked down the man who murdered her whole family and she forgave him. Wow. Not for his sake, for her, but for herself so she because really... she could not function with wow. that blackness of heart. Wow. She said by the time she found him, he was like living in squalor. And, but anyway, she, she, she goes to the United Nations to work and she's got a cubicle and the guy in the cubicle next to her on her first day is complaining to her. She says, somebody stole my stapler. My stapler was here and now it's gone somebody stole it and she says can i tell you a story <laughs> and she tells him the story and he goes oh never mind about my stapler never mind well, that, that could be annoying too anytime something, something comes up oh, you know, the, yeah the light bulbs uh, need you you want to know about light bulbs I'll tell you. No, That's no. right. We all know this story. I survived the Rwandan genocide. <laughs> Damn it. Like the, bring that Rwandan genocide into everything. Again? It's like go- the Curb episode with the survivor meeting the Holocaust <gasps> yeah, survivor yeah, from the Survivor God. reality show. Yeah. 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 Also, right. on Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry David had this one thing where um, there was this guy who um, 9-11 was a big trigger for him because his brother died yeah. on 9-11. But he's like, your brother died riding a bicycle nowhere near. <laughs> Right. <laughs> the World Trade Center towers. You're not allowed to it's say 9/11. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's so good. That's I, so good. I think as as far as forgiveness goes, forgiveness is rational, and holding on to anger is irrational. Mm, mm. I think intuitively we all know that. I mean, it, it's emotional to be angry, and it's rational to forgive. Yeah. Because 
the human being ideally wants to be in a state of nirvana. We want to be calm, collected, right? And and holding on to anger takes us away from that. So basically, anytime we choose not to forgive, we're going against what's uh, rational to us. Right, right. That so. that that's a great point, and that leads us directly into the next topic of peace, which is peace with our enemies, or I like to call it peace in the Middle East. Oi, <laughs> 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 because. You know, what you're saying is true. That, But the thing is, is that you look at places, entrenched mm-hmm. places that have been going at it with each other for thousands of years. I mean, you look at the, just the Middle East as a whole. You look at the, 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 um, the, uh, the conflict in Iraq is over two different sects of Muslims mm. over a story, a, a, a turn in the story that of Muhammad and everything that happened, you know, however many hundreds of thousands of years or, you know, 1500 years ago. But it's, it's based on like one brother did one thing to one. And then so some of the people went to that part of Muslim Islam. And then they other people said, well, we don't that we don't like that part of the story. We're going to, I'm really bad at the I don't know the scholar of scholarly level of it. But and and now they're still fighting 1500 years ago because of this storyline about this person who did this one thing to this other person and and they're and it's like they're It's the Hatfields and McGoys. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. It is the ha- it so there's that in- so but it's entrenched like you're saying anger can be so addicting and and what what I what just occurred to me when you're talking is that it seems like conflict and anger seem to become part of a cultural paradigm or identity where people are talk about fear of the unknown. Some people I think feel like if I were to let go of this, who would I be? What would Uh, even be left? All I know is this outrage and anger and, and, and hatred towards the, this other group of people. And so I don't even know what I would be like when I was working the 12 steps and they have you, you know, be willing to let go of your character defects. I remember thinking, well, who, I'm sorry, who would I be without my anger and sarcasm? I'll be like a piece of Swiss cheese with holes in it. Yes. And someone yes. said something wonderful, which is a defect is actually blocking an asset you don't even know you have. So just trust that you're not going to, you know, cease to exist. Right, right. That, that something will fill in that space. Right, but the fear of the unknown, when this right. is all you know, is your right. and anger can be so addicting. It feels empowering sometimes, doesn't it, you, to be livid? And it helps, it helps you survive. I and mean, whatever that, that trait was, in some ways, it was a strategy, a coping strategy to flight. survive at some point. Yeah. And you could look at it in evolutionary terms that OS 10, 8.8 ceases <laughs> to exist when it's, OS 10.9. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But right. But you're still using a new system. Right. And it's uh, the reason that we go to the zoo to see some of the other animals is we jumped ahead in some ways. Yes. By taking the notes and adjustments. Yes. It's, it's that. Uh, taking it's, the notes. That's great. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. The idea of um, anger being part of how you associate your identity. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah. and who you hate is part of who you are. Completely. Because that's what you were given, mm-hmm. taught. Yeah. Well, look that's at what surrounds you. Well, I mean, look at gangs, you know, urban gangs. I mean, it's very, it's tribal thinking. It's the same right. kind of tribal thinking. It's, you know, we only exist because we are in opposition to those people across the road. It's like that moment. I had to, it nationalism is, is very much like a team sport. It, 100%. And they, they get every, uh, people from six blocks away mm-hmm. to want to hate people that they at the at the dividing line 
they share a garbage truck with on Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be pro Sunni, and then I switched to pro Shiite, and I lost a piece of myself. <laughs> exactly. Who is this guy? Who am I? Who am I? Well, and you know, and then what it does is, you know, the, this entrenched thinking. So, so part of it is, is that you, you know, you, you say, well, we will never be, you know, treated this way again, or you know, we will never let these people do this to us again, and then you become the very thing. Mm-hmm. That you are trying to prevent the other people from exactly. becoming. You end up becoming the oppressor. You end Absolutely. up becoming the people who create some form of genocide or, you know, or belittling a, pe- belittling a people for just who they are. The bully becomes, the, the one who was bullied becomes the Be- bully. Yes, absolutely. And the abuser, the abusee becomes the abuser. I mean, it's. And also, don't you think anger is a cover emotion and what it's covering is a lot of grief and sadness and security and fear probably. But I feel like fear of that grief is what keeps the anger in place because if, if as countries we actually just dropped Mm. all this anger, I think there would be so much grief and sadness that would come forward. And and it's especially for men in any country, I'm pretty sure it's still like, no, no, there won't be cry. There's no crying in baseball. (laughs) Exactly. There's no crying in war. That's right. Maybe during the courtship of Eddie's father in like 1973, men might have felt like I can admit I'm wrong and cry and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. But we have swung hard right again Ah. where there is no support team waiting for your call, for you to be sensitive and a bunch of people i mean there's these men's groups you can go to and get a drum and shit right but, but uh, that's kind of 90s anyway that's kind of 90s there's <laughs> in, in 2013 there's not a lot of outlets to admit you were wrong and that's by design that's to keep people stuck being wrong with nowhere to go to admit it mm. as you know that's all the the post bush embarrassment is people wondering how much longer can i hunker down on a side that's going Yes. Daily, further and further into the tunnel of madness, mm. while I have to keep pretending I'm sticking with my team because they're my fucking team. <laughs> yeah. right. And my team is fucked, and I got nowhere to go, and there's no one that'll yeah. forgive me. And I'm so, I'm in so deep, I'm a moron no matter which way I turn the rest of my life. It's like being a Mets fan. <laughs> Or a Raiders fan. I do anything. I'll say I'm an independent. I'll say I'm a libertarian. A libertarian. I'm finding some fucking yeah. Argentina to run the fuck out of Berlin with my with my bags packed yeah. and get the fuck out of there before the Russians come, you know? You know what has brought me such peace in my life is admitting I'm wrong. The ability to admit when I'm wrong about That's something. like, would you rather be happy or right? And yes. I'm like, I'd rather be happy that I'm right. Fuck you. <laughs> I want to do a dance around you. I'm, I'm happy and That's I'm right. Great. Why do I have to choose one? But it's so liberating, it isn't is it? It is so liberating when you really look into your heart and you know, okay, yes, I fucked up. And you put it on the table for yourself and for the other person too. But And you just, and you say, you know what? Yeah, I, I did the wrong thing. And oh my God, it's like, pounds fall off your body instantly and this pressure comes off your chest and you can like really your chin rises up a little bit it's it's easier to do if you know you have a bank account of good things you've done mm. and i can always tap back to it on the drive home after the apology after i leave their driveway and they close the door and i get in the car Yes. So you can you can add this moment to the bank account of where you got it right again. Well, and that's the thing, you know, that's the difference between, you know, um hate the sin not the sinner, you know, that kind of thing. And that's for yourself even. That we all have to know that we can take 
that we can make poor choices and sometimes behave badly, but that does not make us bad people, Mm -hmm. you know, and that there's something about being able to understand that even though I did a fucked up thing, possibly, I am still an okay human being with a good heart, a good mind, and and in general, want to do well in the world. So yeah, there's, you know, but you have have to know that about yourself, though. You don't even begin to get it with self-accomplice. That's always the hardest thing to explain to someone when you ask them what their life purpose is. And they go, well, I want to do this for me and that for me and the other for me. He says, no, no, your life purpose. Mm -hmm. It doesn't aim inward. (laughs) You can't aim it inward. You're not a fireman who just goes and hits yourself in the face with the hose, you know? Yes. You have to aim it outward. Yes. Or your life purpose, you can't measure it. Others measure it. You know, that's such a great thing about aiming towards yourself because, you know, I've found that although I've, you know, had to spend some time looking inward and looking at myself and finding out what I want for myself. I mean, especially as an as a person who is involved in creativity and wants to express myself, you have to connect with yourself and what do you want to express. But when I am able to turn my life towards service in some way and figure out how am I how can I be of service to this big blue green ball spinning around? Mm-hmm. Talk about peace of mind that comes. Wow. It's like instant peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Truly. I always thought that we'd have world peace if, if every human got like a one hour full body massage every morning to start the day mm-hmm. and then had some sort of creative outlet for whatever mm. it is they're mm. feeling. The creative mm-hmm. part is probably more important than the massage. But some people think- can't tap into their creativity because their bodies are so tense and they're sort of like shut down physically. Their like armor. there are people that when they get a physical massage, they start to cry. Yes. They start to weep. I, yes. I think a lot of anarchy comes out of boredom. Mm. I really do. I think your dad actually talked about this a little bit, mm. about how he was excited to watch the shit go down. This is true, yes. You know, Circling a, the drain. Having a front row seat to... The to, freak show, yes. To the freak show. If there's no freak show, a lot of people are going to get antsy and bored. There yeah. needs to be some kind of show. If there was world peace, I don't think it would last too long before someone said, shit, this is boring. So no matter what, you we know? need dancing with the stars is what you're saying. <laughs> At the very least, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of true because, um, you know, like the fires were on today on the TV and I was like, oh, I've, you know, I kind of just sit and I eat my lunch and I watch the fires on TV. Right. It's like, oh, let's, 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 let's watch the world burn down today. This is fucking entertaining. Can you imagine the news with nothing bad? Ugh. I know. I wouldn't so watch it. That's true, nothing though. Nothing more relaxing than a hot b- buttered rum watching the the yule hillside <laughs> go up in flames the yule hillside oh, well you know it's funny that we are wired for um for 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 surprise and and the need for 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 new things we're we're mm-hmm. we're, we're hardwired for that that's why I, I had a wonderful woman on last week my, my show last week named lisa cron who talked about um, how we're hardwired for story and how story it's always about the next thing that's coming and, you know, always having to, to be entertained on some level. Yeah. And it's so true. So it's so funny because I don't think we're hardwired for peace. I think we're hardwired to be on alert for what is next. Mm-hmm. Can I just say? Yes, sir. When we say we. Yes. We're watching a lot of separate we's branch off right now. In these very extreme times, we're watching a kind of human really distinctly evolve away from another pod of kind of humans. Mm. 
It's just happening. The kind of person that will believe anything out of a glow box and the person that doubts it, that's a, like an evolutionary leap. Mm-hmm. It, you can't look at it up close and see it, but I think later they're going to figure out there was the easy-to-lie-to human and the hard-to-lie-to human. <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, the new 8.7. Yes, yes, came yes, out With yes. a sort of spam virus thing that, that <laughs> filtered it. out lies. Blocks the, blocks it's the spam. It's sold with a new Norton bullshit detector, you know? <laughs> right. And it's, I think it's just bound to happen. Yeah. And it is happening. And the fact that these conversations are occurring are proof. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. and when we say we, yes, there's large numbers. But you're I'm talking all- like mammalian brain we. Like I'm talking that kind of we. Like yeah, the hardwired. millions. Yeah, that's true. And that's and true. There's a, there's a whole bunch of the millions of we's not, that don't have exactly that setup anymore. Is, but I'm not saying this is wrong because for survival, you have to be alert to know what's coming around the corner next. I mean, that's what we're hardwired for survival. We're I think not, we're alert. I, I think yeah. not not necessarily. The alertness is uh, sometimes I won't go into fear specifically because it is wanted. Someone yes. wants me to by another. I am consciously They're trying not to doing trigger it. you into it. That's right. Because yes. now that I know what they want, fuck what they want. Which is where the rational mind comes in, you know, the reasoned mind where you can discern. Discernment is a huge part of this. And I believe discernment is a huge key to having some sort of peace in one's life because you do get to immediately discern the bullshit from the non-bullshit, 100%. Now, talking about how your guest said that we are hardwired for constant newness and stimulation yes. does that mean we are therefore not hardwired to be creatures who meditate i think i think meditation is a definitely evolutionary thing that to 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 be able to look at our own consciousness to see ourselves as to see this thing as an object, to, to, to actually tap into the ground of being. Um, that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Exactly. Yes. And that, mm-hmm. that this very, that we can actually see and, and, and you, our consciousness becomes an object to observe, basically. I, I think that is a, a very interesting leap for our, these amazing beings that we are and, and um, we're the ones that are splitting off as rick was just talking about uh, I, I think you know what it, it's happening no matter what it's happening whether you like it or not evolution is occurring but i think it's no longer what new thing will pop stick out of our bodies or fall off i think we'll just start using the one thing we only use 10 percent. yeah it's the evolution of it's, consciousness i i agree 100 percent. yeah questioning people versus non-questioning people mm-hmm. you ever meet a guy who doesn't question things mm-hmm. and immediately you're full incurious, of questions an incurious an soul. incurious soul there's nothing more perplexing to me <laughs> than somebody who just doesn't question anything who just goes along with the flow whatever the flow may be whatever it is they say okay that's the thing we're supposed to do next okay we'll do it yeah hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, yeah maybe it's just you're not you... gonna ask why no i don't really see the point no, no, you no. can't blame a texas instruments calculator for not being an i my mac you know it's, it's not the same gadget <laughs> yeah, right, it's doing right. it's doing its best and it adds brilliantly that's my point so there's there's questioning human and non-questioning human that's it if you look yeah. at like greek the ancient greeks versus uh let's say the ancient romans mm-hmm Really, more questioning people versus more doing people. Yes, right. Yes. Well, Romans were a pi- an on foot piracy culture right. and a boat piracy culture. Yes. They never they never invented anything. They, they raided stole. homes of inventors. Right, right, right. right. They were a thief culture. Yeah. So so interesting because that ties right into this other question I thought about and contemplated, <laughs> which is 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 being creative and using your imagination and even making art. Um, does that create a more peaceful world? I think it does. 
It's using the part of the brain that makes and doesn't destroy. Hmm. You're like your your coin flips in midair all time. Heads or tails, heads tails, and that's childlike, childish, and they're two natural opposing forces. One destroys, hmm. and maybe its purpose is to make room for the new thing to be created, hmm. or make the desire for it occur. And, and, the, and the two spinning particles as they go around, mm-hmm. the destroying uh, is maybe, and the destroying never sees itself as being any more evil than a termite is in your nice house. Mm-hmm. Termite doesn't know it's fucking anything up. It's just doing its job. Right, w- right. W- what if you're creating things to destroy? What if you're creating bombs? <laughs> yeah. See? Like what certain creations well, that's the difference can between destroy. bombs and creating yeah. art. You know, have you guys heard of the movie The OT, the documentary? No. Okay, so The OT is about a production of Our Town that happened in a high school in Inglewood, I believe, where they there wasn't a drama program before. And they took Thornton Wilder's Our Town, the whitest play ever <laughs> written, and they made they made it their own in and the called, hood. And they called it The OT. And yeah. and big shock, uh, there was a lot of resistance at first. No one wanted to do this. It wasn't cool. Next thing you know, it's such a success that the drama program thrives and guess what happens to gang? violence oh. plummets wow and and you know i'm such a sap so i'm watching this movie years ago <laughs> at the movie theater and i'm like ah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> because it is about the creating of art and having a drama program and giving these kids something to do with their time that's also an expression of who they are and what their neighborhood is and what their town is and adapting it and then performing it. Wow. It goes back to the boredom theory, really. Yes. If people are bored, they, they fuck shit up. That's right. If they're, if they're stimulated, you know, then like you were saying, that they'll create something. Now, it's, it, and I think as you get older, you choose more specifically and almost surgically if you're taking notes and you're getting smarter from those notes. You're, you're choosing very specifically what you're attacking, whereas anarchy, just anything that, any poppy that gets too tall, it just runs out there with a stick and hits that poppy. And, uh, but uh, I think someone who's seeing progressive things occur in the world, you don't just hit anything because it got big. You hit the ones that aren't going to serve a greater good. Because we need some big things on our side. Holy shit, do we need mm-hmm. powerful Koch brothers size entities with money to help counterfund all the shit being done to us to get our, you know, our social security stripped away and all our pensions are going to be gone. And, and, you know, without our big dog, the other one's barking us down. Yeah. Speaking of barking, you can still hear yeah. Ned barking. Uh, sorry I about that. Apologize. Correct. Oh, uh, yeah. There's no one in my house to take care of my dog right now. <laughs> so um, I have this great quote here about art and peace. Uh, it's by. Have you guys ever heard of Brenda Euland? She wrote a book. If you want to write, it's a book about art, independence, and spirit. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is an amazing quote. She says. But the great artists like Michelangelo and Blake and Tolstoy, like Christ, whom Blake called an artist because he had one of the most creative imaginations that ever was on earth, he did not want security, egoistic or material. Why, it never occurred to them, be not anxious for the morrow, and which of you being anxious can add one cubit to his stature? So these men and women dare to be idle not to be pressed and duty-driven all the time. They dare to love people, even, even when they are very bad, and they dare not to try and dominate others to show them what they must do for their own good. So fascinating to me. Something, this, this, this idea about not being driven by the culture and daring to be idle. I mean, that's what I take that, that, that part of it to be. And, and to, to be able to, 
to not have to be have power over other people, but to use life force to 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 help us move through life, to help us to 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 connect with each other, and to not that selfish gene, that thing that they talk about that we all supposedly have, you know, which creates this this need to have power over people to 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 be greedy, which I think is the whole thing that leads to all this insanity yeah, of and, war and, and violence. Ironically, what might turn it around is not to ditch the selfish gene, right. but get the download for the upgrade, which is take good care of your neighbors if you're interested in yourself. Yeah. Quite specifically, because uh, if you have nothing but neighbors that hate you, your house is going to burn down the, and your private fire truck's never going to get you because they're going to wreck two cars on your street to block that truck from getting to Fuck you. Yeah. We're going to party when you burn. You're right. But if they love you, the truck won't need to get there because your neighbors helped you put it out before they even got there because you have an army of people that love you. Yeah. And, an, uh, and the people that use fear to make everything occur, which is that, that's the sort of fascist mind. That and everyone, the humans are basically fucked up pieces of shit and they mm-hmm. must be slapped in line because that's secretly what they think of themselves. And it's, it's an insecurity, absolutely. Insecurity, but right. it's also, it's the doubt in self that leads to the, the main core of it. And if you think that most people are shit and that most people really are treacherous snakes, you really do have to clamp down with fierce rules on them. Uh, 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 well, and, and aren't some people shit? The more people, and here's the thing about the two halves of the brain, it's so, I think, critical to the whole situation. The whole point about that people that weren't formatted early to know that they're creative have to retreat to a theft mind to hmm, keep competitive. Interesting. Whereas yeah. because they have to drop into that because desperation because I don't connected. have a plan A. Oh. I can only live in buffing up, being mean, because I, 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 the only other way I can get stuff is to scare you into giving it to me. I can't make my own like you can. But maybe they can and they just don't know. Of course, well, yeah, that's it. Yeah. What yeah, I'm saying is yeah. they were not formatted right. to know it. Absolutely. And so our gig is either A, do I just patently hate you in response? Right. Or B... Do I try to convert you? Mm-hmm. Do I find that dormancy? Do I work on activating it after years of not being activated? And I know I won't get all of you, but what if I got one tenth of you? Right. Well, and that's the thing, though. It's like how many though do you have to get? You know, because there's so many people who are just kind of shoved through. You know, this kind of sausage making machine. I look here in America at the educational system, at the media, and there's a lot of people that certainly the culture, you know, the culture with the big C kind of no conspiracy theater behind it. But, you know, it's like the more we just have people who don't think for themselves, don't know they're creative, and they just, you know, buy the right things and, and show up and buy the new Toyota every two years, we'll be fine. <laughs> We'll be fine. I think an interesting point about all this is if you look at the Renaissance. Mm. The Renaissance, the emphasis was on the arts. It's one of the most peaceful times we have. Mm. When you put the emphasis on the arts, there's less anarchy and destruction. Mm. If you look at the life of Hitler, Mm. he started out as an artist, killing zero people and making paintings. Then he's killing Mm -hmm. millions of people, zero paintings. (laughs) There was no balance between art and murder. When Hitler was a fascist dictator, you'd think... The artist in him, I've often thought about this as a painter, 
He must be thinking, I you can know, get the best art supplies. You know, right he now. was a bitter. He was a bitter artist because his, yeah. his art. He, because, he was not liked by the art community. But his yeah. art's not bad. I, I Google imaged it, and it, it's uh, it wasn't terrible. Had maybe some people embraced him as an artist, a lot more people would have lived. I agree with mm. that a hundred percent. If the, someone had just given him a good review, yeah. in the local paper, yeah. a lot of this mess. And if Prescott Bush had just missed a curve while running rum. Into a river, <laughs> along with Henry Ford, and that's why and there's the... a lot of things we could have. Jeff, you got to jump in the time machine and hit one point that knocks everything out of whack. Which is that one point when you let so many other horrors up to that point happen, and you just got to hit it because it's personal, or do you go back and try to stop the original core hey, point of all of it? Let Jesus live. Let's see what that what happens then. I love that right. you guys are basically saying that Hitler's first art critic really caused the Holocaust. Yeah, it's, 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 it's angry critics that are at the root of all evil. That's Pretty much, right. yeah. yeah. This is art criticism. It's yeah. really about art. It's criticism. Let artists yeah. be artists, man. Right. <laughs> Wouldn't that be weird to say, what's that? Oh, that's a Hitler. Yeah, I, I've, I've I have a couple of Hitlers yeah. at the house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, been, I've been doing that. Uh, oh, you do that yeah, bit? I've been doing that That's bit. Great. I didn't want to sorry, do it because Danny. it's a bit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. Damn it, Rick. But I led you into it, and I'm sorry. He did. He walked you right into it. That's the last right. time you'll hear it from me. Then. I apologize. Can we talk uh, about something that from earlier? I would love to go yeah. back to the whole concept of um, – Boredom versus there's a difference between being bored and uh, knowing how to just be and be still or meditate Beautiful. or just yes. uh, be a human being instead of human doing. Yes. So so then what is the definition of boredom? Mm. Yeah. Okay, what does well, it mean to be? Because I well, never understood just, when, so when people say they're oneself. bored. Yeah. I don't understand. I've never been bored a moment of my life because there's so much I want to experience or accomplish in the world. You like your own company. Yeah. Comfort right. with self is. Is that what it right. is? I think Rick, you, nailed, you nailed it. Yeah. So that's what it yeah. is. It is. You are bored if you are if you don't because, like yourself. Absolutely, because part of boredom is is actually boredom is a, a sensation or a, a a mood that comes over us. It's not an emotion, but more of a mood that comes over us when we are discontent with the present moment. Yeah. And usually, who do we find in the present moment but ourselves? ourselves. Right. right. And, and 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 the high stream, the high speed flood of other right. images we were going to feed ourselves exactly. to keep ourselves so, from looking into the mirror. So distraction. Right. So the yeah. TV goes away, let's yeah. say. The TV goes away, the TV goes down, uh, or you know, or you're not maybe you're a big social person and you you stay in social contact with everyone all the time. Oh, I need to be stimulated because I'm not happy with this shell that I'm yeah, living yeah. in because, and with my yeah. thoughts and my own mind. Right. You because you're gonna have that. to actually feel your feelings, which is part of the discomfort of life. I see. And yes, and that mm. those of us, you know, I I used to laugh, uh, I used to teach beginning meditation and and worked with this uh um, Zen teacher and she she used to laugh also because we would uh, teach this class and people would come and we would ask them, so why are you, t- why are you taking meditation? Why are you taking meditation? You know, why, why do you want to learn to meditate? And nine out of 10 of the people in the class, oh, I want to have peace of mind. I want to have peace of mind. And then my teacher would say, well, <clears throat> there's good news and there's bad news. <laughs> the good news is, is that, yes, eventually you will be able to have a sense of peace of mind. The bad news is it'll probably come in about 10 years uh-huh. because the first thing that happens when you learn to sit 
on the cushion. As you encounter your mind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and all 10,000 voices That's of it. right. And every sensation in your body that you've never wanted to actually feel or sit with. And the thing about it is, is you learn, and this is why you end up en- ending up getting a sense of peace of mind through meditation, is because you learn that the sensation comes and then it goes. The thought comes and then it goes. And the more you watch it, the faster its little cycle is. And I remember when I quit smoking cigarettes and I decided, and I do this with any kind of craving that I go through. If it's sugar and I'm going to, you know, not do sugar for a while or whatever. And I just, I time the craving, the actual craving and my smoking craving when it would come on. And nicotine's a motherfucker. It really, really is. It is more addictive in your brain than heroin. And, um, I found out that it was seven and a half minutes my craving would last. So if you could last for eight minutes, you wouldn't smoke a cigarette. Yes. But we, but most of us don't even want to be uncomfortable for seven seconds, much less seven minutes. So in that seven seconds, I got to go find a cigarette and smoke it. Yes. Yes. So Kelly, the best time to start meditating is right after dementia kicks in. Yes. Perfect time. (laughs) Perfect. Easy. Really easy to do it then. Super easy. Super easy. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, you know, great. Half of these voices aren't even mine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how do you do? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, when I started the, so this is going to like tie in panic attacks and meditation all into one little story. So after my mom died in 97, I decided that I was going to sign up for a meditation retreat, a six day meditation retreat with this guy, Thich Nhat Hanh. Anyone out there who wants to learn about mindfulness, you look up Thich Nhat Hanh. He's written a million books. He's amazing. So I never even meditated for five seconds in my oh, life. And then you signed up for Thich Nhat Hanh? A six day wow. Thich Nhat Hanh retreat up in, wow. up in UC. UCSB. So the first thing I had to do was, is I had to drive myself to Santa Barbara. I had not driven by myself further than the valley in over 10 years. When was this? This is 1997, the fall of 97. So I get in my car, I drive myself all the way to Santa Barbara. I do not have a panic attack. And I think to myself, okay, I could go home right now because I am fixed. I am so victorious (laughs) right now. You could really call it the rise of 97 in that way. Yes, yes. So, so then I, so then I go there and I'm like, what am I thinking? I've never like done five seconds of sitting meditation. I'm about to sit for six days. And of course, with him, it's a lot of talking and there's like singing, breathing in, breathing out. It's a little weird and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, I signed up for it. I'm going to do it. First morning, they say, come out. We're going to do walking meditation. This is like the slowest fucking walking on earth. You like one foot, next foot. one. It's very amazing, peaceful. I don't, once again, don't know what the hell I'm doing. It's crack of dawn. I don't do crack of dawn. I get my ass out of bed. I go down to the beach and there's literally in the retreat, there's about 1,200 people at this retreat. It's this huge. What? Yeah, it's a huge. 1,200 This is when he, he, he would, he would come to the country twice a year. Wow. But down at the beach that morning, there's probably about four to 500 of us. So the nut, so Thai, we call him Thai. That means teacher in Vietnamese. Thai's walking with some of the nuns and some of the kids and they're all doing walking meditation. And we're all like 400 of us are walking behind him up the beach slowly, slowly. We're walking, we're walking. I look over, there's dolphins playing in the water as we walk by. We walk up into this trail. Now we're single file on these two trails through this nature reserve. I look over. And there is 
a little fox, and it is maybe 40 feet away from us. It has no idea we're there. It is going about its business. It's hunting something in a little hole. And we there's 400 of us walking by this fox. And I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, I think this shit might actually work. We had such a sense of peace within us that you did not disturb that fox. We did not disturb oh. a leaf around us. Yeah, like stealth mode. Yes. Love it. Now what what, what was the, the definition of walking meditation? Fox. Walking meditation is uh it is being while moving. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a real exercise and it is heel toe very slow and he has a little mantra he gives you which is um um uh, it's like I am the earth, the earth is me. I am the earth. The earth is me as your feet go down. And what about the breathing? What are you supposed to be and doing? And you can, you can just breathe normally. You know, it's, it's a, you know, it just depends on in the Zendo. It's a different type of breathing. Um, but this really made me see what peace was actually possible. Wow. You hear that joke about the meditation student goes, master, master. What is it? After all these years, I finally in my meditation had a vision. It was Vishnu. Vishnu appeared to me, and the teacher went, that's nice, but it will pass in time. Don't worry. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) One of the things you get about in the highest level of Zen is even if you become and connect to nirvana, you see that that too is just another state of mind. Yeah. And you learn to let that go. Was it Thich Nhat Hanh who said, um, uh, a student said, you know, it, how long should I meditate every morning? And, you know, he said half an hour. What if I don't have time to meditate for half an hour? He said, meditate for an hour. <laughs> like, Wait a minute. What? You that zen- doesn't make any sense. That's such a Zen master move. <laughs> such a Zen master move. I just said I don't have time to meditate. Do you know that I was told probably for 20 years by different people that I should meditate? And I was like, fuck you. I can't meditate. And I don't have time to meditate. And I'm too fidgety. And I'm impatient. And I would sit there and, and I would try. And I'm like, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. I have, I have stuff to do. You don't understand yes, how much I have to do every day. Around. I can't do this. And so I, I told myself I would meditate for 10 seconds. I see if I see yes. if I can meditate for ten seconds, and I meditated for ten seconds, and I realized I just meditated for ten seconds, and then it slow, very slowly increased from there. But I had to start yes. with ten seconds because if I if I tried to make myself meditate right. for an hour the first time, no, I would have I would have lost my mind. But yeah. Reverend Michael Beckwith from Agape mm. says that the definition of a successful meditation is one that you did. Hmm. It's like because writing. it's like, did I do this right? Yeah. Did I meditate no, correctly? No it's right. like if you did it, whatever yeah. you call it, whatever you did, right? And you called it a meditation, then you you were successful. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's funny too when you do when you learn when you do meditate, and if you create if you can create a meditation practice in your life, and I highly recommend people to try it, even if it's for ten seconds, you will find that if you do spend that 10, 20 minutes in the morning actually meditating, that although you have removed those 10 or 20 minutes from your day of doing, you will feel like you have a lot more time yes. in your day. And your day goes much better. It I know this does. is someone who now meditates every morning. That yes. if I miss uh if I miss a morning, yep. by the end of the day I'm like, that day was fucked. <laughs> Oh wait a minute! Did you not meditate? This I morning? forgot. 
it. Yes. You either got to meditate or medicate, but one way or another, you're going to get through that day. Okay. So I got a couple of more quotes here and then we're almost done. I just wanted to um, quote, um, uh, let's see, who do I want to quote here? I'll quote my dad. We'll start with my dad. Fighting for peace is like screwing for virginity. Ah. Oh, my God. I quote that all the time. It's my, one of my favorite quotes. I love that. Malcolm X, sometimes you have to pick the gun up to put the gun down. But Martin Luther King says right back at him, returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Mm. That's up there with uh, whatever you resist persists or... Einstein said problems cannot be solved from the same energy or consciousness that created the problem. Absolutely. Yeah, and the guy who sells hate doesn't care which side buys it. He don't. He don't. He, he just, just he's there. He, he set just, up a shop to sell to anybody. He wants to buy his new Cadillac. Whereas, and Shimon, Shimon Perez, who was part of the big peace agreement in the Middle East, he said, we should use our imagination more than our memory. Going back to the beginning uh, the of the past. conversation like about the past. Yes. Einstein said uh, is more important, imagination is more important than knowledge. Einstein, yes. a good uh, example of someone who created something that destroyed. That uh, is he got, very he got true. got duped into that. Yep, that is very true. And um, uh, the Dalai Lama says, world peace must develop from inner peace. Peace is not just mere absence of violence. Peer is, peace is, I think, the manifestation of human compassion. And one of my favorite lines by the Dalai Lama is someone asked him what his religion is. And he says, my religion is kindness. I love that. He always deflects the question. He is. He's, he's very sl- <laughs> very slick, that guy. And here's John Lennon. I used to think that the world was doing something to me, that the world owed me something, and that either the conservatives or the socialists or the fascists or the communists or the Christians or the Jews or the fascists were doing something to me. And when you're a teeny bopper, that's what you think. I'm 40 now. I don't think that any, I don't think that anymore because I found out it doesn't fucking work. I am a part of them. There's no separation. We're all one. Give peace a chance, not shoot people for peace. <laughs> Ironic. All you yeah. need is love. I believe it. It's damn hard, but I absolutely believe it. And then we're going to finish off with Rumi. Rumi. Which is, this is one of my favorite things, which kind of ties into my essay. Is it the out beyond? Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. Oh. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. That's right back to your essay. Right back to my fucking Beautiful essay, people. Fucking circle, people. Actually, full octagon. There was a full octagon we did there. We did a full octagon. Uh, I want to thank you all for coming out, uh, for sweating in our sweat box today. Um, The sun is at a certain angle, which makes it very exciting here in the room. And uh, I want to also thank, um, so I want to thank Rick. Rick, uh, anything exciting going on we should know about in your fabulousness life? Well, I got my podcast called Overview on rickoverton.net or on iTunes, Sideshow Network. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, check that out. Got some interesting guests and some. I also got uh, an interview with Jonathan Winters too. Yes, and your your conversations are revelatory on that podcast. Revelatory, beautiful. Oh, Every single you. guest you go to a different place with. Oh, I knew how to start them off, man. And with you, you, well, thank you, very, thank you very uh, much. It shows really well with you starting off. Thank you, Kellen. Your shows are too. Thank you, thank and you. I think no, your you pieces asked. are 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 incredible, and I uh, can't wait to see the book of that collection. Oh, thank you, thanks, Rick. Thank cool. you so much, and Mr. 
Suzanne Wong, what are you doing? Well, um, I recently became engaged at the age of 50 years old. Yes, thank you. To a man who I have been friends with um, and known for 20 years and secretly in love with for 20 years. And it turns out he was secretly in love with me for mm. 20 years as well. And so we are getting married. And that is a beautiful thing. He is actually going to be visiting me from New York all next week. And we are both performing at an... Um, a spoken word event called Story Salon on Wednesday night, May 8th at 8 p.m. at the Coffee Fix. Oh, fantastic. So come, I love that little space. Come and That's see a fantastic us if you room. like. And find me on Facebook and Twitter. Yes, yes. Find her on the Facebook and Twitter. And Danny, what are you up to? I'm glad you asked. There's a small island off the coast of Tanzania that have finally come to terms with the fact that I am the one that they prophesied for. <laughs> They're bringing me there, all expenses paid. Awesome, and, man. Uh, <laughs> Do you need any concubines? Uh, I come along for shit like that. They, they've guaranteed me a plethora of concubines oh. and uh, grape soda. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know why, but that's just the soda of choice on the island. Uh, no, I... <laughs> Cargo I, cult. <laughs> um, I have a, a, an album just came out on iTunes, uh, recorded two years ago in Scotland. It's called Danny Lobel, Some Kind of Comedian. Please buy it. I need the money. And, uh, <laughs> and um, I am launching uh, my new podcast this week. It's called – it's actually a good callback to the Sid Caesar. It's, uh -huh. it's called Podcast of Podcasts. Oh, nice. nice. Wonderful. Title, Fantastic so title. That will be up there uh, in the next day or two. One, oh, good. Wonderful. Uh, and lastly – I'm on Twitter. He's on the Twitter. They're Danny LaBelle, Suzanne Wong, Rick Overton. They're all on the Twitter. You know, you can find me on the Twitter, Kelly underscore Carlin. I know. I was an why, early. Why was that? Because I was an early adopter, didn't understand it and thought, well, I need a space between my names, right? I didn't get the Twitter thing. I was a fucking <laughs> dork. What do I know? <laughs> and I want to thank all 18,000 of you, my followers, who are actually only 9% of you are fake. <laughs> 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 so uh, you're real humans and I really appreciate you following me and bless your heart I want to thank Logan Heftel Logan Yay, are you up Logan to anything Heftel. this week? I am writing and recording there'll be new music soon right Sounds very good. So Logan will be doing that. I will be at the Acme Comedy Theater May thirteenth, uh, May eighteenth. Sorry, with a Carlin Home Companion, and I'm also performing next week at the Mint here in Los Angeles at a spoken word show. I think I'm doing my Leif Garrett one night stand story. And, um, boy, that's it, I think. Yes, Sirius XM on Sunday, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time. I'll have the Jonathan Winters interview. And so I want to thank my guests. I want to thank Logan. I want to thank Will at Smodcast who um, puts this thing up and types the right things and makes sure everything plugs into the right thing over in the doohickey thingamajig. I want to thank Kevin Smith for, um, you know, being Kevin, just being a great human being. Thank God he's around. Uh, of course, I want to thank the Big Electron because without the Big Electron, there nothing would be humming mm -hmm. and we wouldn't be able to have the hum of our voices here on this great show. And everyone, I want to ask a favor of all of you out there. Tomorrow, if you can, I want you in broad daylight to go and lay on your lawn with your eyes, arms wide open and your eyes shut and let your neighbors figure it out for themselves. Have a great week. Nice. Great.
Some will prosper while most are suffering. This is the world in which we're from. We strive merely for riches, but we will die with none. And I know this all feels wrong. So much disparity. Such a beautiful song. I know this don't feel right. We always lose the battle and always gain a fight. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com. <laughs>